their hastening multiplies their sorrows. We should be careful not to connect ourselves with in the slightest way with falsehood in religion. There is no reason why I need to join in an ecumenical breakfast with those who do not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. There is no reason that I should join in an evangelistic crusade that will send those who make, this, make professions of faith back to that. You have heard it often. You can stand to hear it again. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now that this refers to marriage is certainly applicable, but it it applies to other relationships as well. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then the reasons, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Boal? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, Isaac Watts, Isaac Watts may be called a separatist. I don't think it embarrassed him. I think he regarded it as a compliment. He was buried in the nonconformist graveyard along with some of the other saints of the earth, the excellent of the earth. In verse 5, <clears throat> The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Here there is great confidence and joy that the Savior had in his Father's love, he was content beyond measure with his portion. So should we be. Discontent with our portion is heresy. Can you hear me? We should make our boast in the Lord. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31. 
that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He is worthy of our adoration and praise, our confidence, our boasting. Anything else will fail. The final portion of that verse, Thou maintainest my lot. And here the Savior is confident that every cause will be satisfactorily dealt with and equitably settled. Our claim is not flimsy. Not based on the whim of some earthly judge, but God himself will settle our claim, put us firmly into our lot. The Lord Jesus, in praying this psalm, delighted in this truth that the Father was on his side and would maintain his right against all the wrongs of man. He knew that his elect would be reserved for him and preserved all the way to glory. In verse 6, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now when you consider the life and death of the Lord Jesus, this is a monumental statement. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now Jesus found the way of obedience to lead into pleasant places. In spite of the enormous sorrows that beset his way, he could say in the 40th Psalm, verse 7, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Or consider Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. You have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. In elaborating the grief and the dishonor heaped upon him. The prophet Isaiah, in the 53rd chapter, says, Isaiah 53.3, He is despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What was the outcome? Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. <clears throat> he bore the shame, the ignominy, to have his goodly heritage. And what did he what did he view as his goodly heritage? I think it is epitomized in John seventeen twenty four, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He delights in the sons of men. So discontent with my lot is out of keeping with one who professes to follow the rejected Savior. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also shall instruct me in the night seasons. And we have here praise in addition to prayer, and it becomes us to show this same nature. Seek his counsel. Trust not your own understanding. And here he says, my reins instruct me. The heart, the innermost being, communion with God and then communion with myself. When I am still, 
our Lord spent nights, whole nights, in prayer to God, you say, oh, he didn't need to. Apparently, he thought so. I read in Luke 6, verse 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That was before he selected the twelve apostles. Great generals fight their battles in their own mind long before the trumpet sounds. And so did our Lord win the conflict on his knees ere he gained it on the cross. After we have communed with the Heavenly Father, if we are quiet before him, it just may be that the words of Isaiah 30, 21 will come to pass. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left. In the final verses, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. The fear of death <clears throat> at one time cast its long shadow over the soul of the Savior. We read such mysterious passages as Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now it may be that the fulfillment of that is recorded over in Matthew 26 verse 43. The Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had made his petition, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth the disciples asleep. What I'm looking for is in uh, Luke twenty-two, verse forty-three, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, this was not at the end of his praying. It was in the middle of it. 
And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground, and so forth. At the end of verse 8, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Confidence. Stability. We have the same thing at the end of the 15th Psalm. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. So we ought to be steadfast, unmovable. Now in this passage, our Lord clearly foresees his death and is confident. Sometimes we, we fail to realize The shadow of the cross was on him throughout his lifetime. This is not a figment of my imagination. I read in Psalm 88, verse 15, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. He grew up in the shadow of a cross. He came to die. And so he could say, as he does in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. I laid down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He was not a martyr to a cause. He was a sacrifice. In verse 9, we have his great confidence. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Confidence, rejoicing, hopefulness. Now faith gives us living joy and dying rest. Our Lord was not disappointed in his hope. And so he declares in verse 10, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is a noble encouragement for all the saints. Die they must. Rise, they must. Christ's resurrection is the earnest, the guarantee of the rising of all his people. So let them go to their graves as to their beds, resting their flesh among the clods as they now do on their beds. 
wretched will be that man who, when the Philistines of death come to invade his soul, is like King Saul, who had been forsaken by God. But if you have the Lord at your right hand, all will be well. Verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. This path was shown to Jesus first. This is, this is the, uh, the way I read Colossians 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The firstborn from the dead. And the delight of his heart, the encouragement through it all, was that he would come to his father's house with all of his own. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. I'd like to read a quotation by Trapp about this verse. Here is as much said as can be said, but words are too weak to utter it. For quality, there is in heaven joy and pleasure. For quantity, a fullness, a torrent, whereat they drink without hindrance, or repining. For constancy, it is at God's right hand who is strong in power. Neither can any take us out of his hand. It is a constant happiness without intermission, and for perpetuity, it is forevermore. Heaven's joys are without measure, without mixture, without end. Thank you.